The theme is love. And I'm struck always by our statement of purpose here, our mission statement as a church. This is what we say. This is what we seek to live as as a church. We are a Christ-centered community. We are those who, as we walk through this life, are centered on Christ. And, And in that, we are committed to these three things in particular. When we gather and when we scatter, we want to glorify God with all of our lives, everything we do, every day, that we live on this earth. We, we exist for his glory. We want to glorify God. Secondly, we want to teach his word and his ways. And so the, the open book here in this pulpit is the authority in the room. The Lord has authority over our lives. We delight in that. We tuck under that. We want to be equipped by that week by week, day by day. And then we don't just want to know it. We want to live it. So his ways, let it live out of us. And then this third line, And we exist as a Christ-centered community to promote loving relationships. Now, isn't that interesting? Of the three things that we say above all else that we are committed to, that loving one another would make that list. How significant is it then to consider in the Word of God this, this call to love? Love God and love one another. Love others is massive in our commitment. And I think we're going to see that build out as we move through these verses. All of this happens in the context of our mission to make disciples of Jesus everywhere we go, every person we can meet, every opportunity we have. Let me tell you about this love that I've been shown. Let me tell you of of Christ, the one who is love uh, made visible, the gift of God. So, That's just a a reminder of who we are, what we're committed to, and let's resolve together today to build this out as we go not only through these verses, but then leave from this place to live it out as we move. So, love one another is the call. We're in Romans 13, 8 through 10, and uh, let's just take the first part of verse 8. I titled this, Wellsprings of Love. Wellsprings are fountains of love. Paul says, owe no one anything except to love each other. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Now let's take this in two parts, okay? First of all, owe no one anything. Here's the context. It's where we left off a couple weeks ago. Pay to all, verse 7, pay to all what is owed. Uh, to, uh, to, owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, Uh, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is in the context of submission to authorities. How are the believers to live in uh, the the world? What does it look like? What's What's the vibe or the tone of our lives supposed to kind of emanate out into the world? Well, it's one of respect and dignity, one of um, submission and, and, and gentleness, and one that is faithful and consistent to our word. Here, here's a part of it. We are truth tellers. Our mission is to carry truth. And if we give our word, it should be as good as gold, right? So if we say we're going to pay something, we pay it. If we say we're going to do something, we do it. And it's important to remember this. That's why we don't exaggerate, right? We, we're not people who exaggerate because we want to be precise in the way that we handle truth. We carry truth into the dark. It's, it's, it's kind of the definition of our, our mission here. So then the call comes, owe no one anything. 
And immediately there's questions that just kind of jump off the page. Well, how in the world is that possible? Uh, Paul, what if I'm a farmer? How do I get seed to plant my crops? I have to borrow money to buy the seed. Uh, There's no way to live without that. I mean, basic business. You, you, You have to borrow money. What is Paul saying? Is it wrong to lend? Is it wrong to borrow? Should I ever be in debt? Is he saying that that you shouldn't have a mortgage? No, that's not what he's saying. Matthew 5, 42, from the lips of Jesus, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So there's, this is one of many examples, Old Testament and New, of demonstrations of loving and charitable participation in both lending and borrowing. Um, there's um, uh, cautions against usury, which would be basically uh, exacting exorbitant interest from someone. It's not wrong to charge interest on a loan, but uh, you're supposed to do so with care, not to take advantage of someone in their need, but to bless them with a loan and then have a return for that. And all of that is spelled out in the Scriptures. So we know that Paul can't be saying that it's, it's always out of place for us to... Uh, uh, to be in debt, that, that we should never be in debt. Well, what's he saying then? Well, here, before we get to that, let me just mention the dangers of debt because there is some value here in this slight rabbit trail here. As Americans, as Westerners, as, uh, as those who have opportunity to go into debt, we should pause here and, and consider a little bit about this. It is very possible to find yourself burdened, overloaded, fearful, um, carrying incredible amount of debt, living paycheck to paycheck just to pay the creditors. And so I think there is a word of caution here, a word of wisdom. There is more to debt than just the pressure to pay. There's pride. What, what decision-making goes into making a purchase? How do I make disciplined financial decisions, right? There's keeping up with the Joneses. What, what if I'm subtly giving way to a, a spirit of competition in and among those who are friends of mine? What if I see a creature comfort that I just have to have that I would call a need, but it's, it's actually more of a want? What am I willing to do to go into debt? As Americans, our, 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 our culture has an <laughs> unbelievable um, propensity to just print money. Don't worry about the debt. Kick it, kick it down the road. Let, let the great-grandchildren deal with it. Well, you can only do that so long before it's no longer the great-grandchildren. It's, it's you. Like you, you have to face it up. We, we are unbelievably in debt in our nation. It's no way to live. It's no way to run an economy. Inflation is going through the roof in part because of this. In 2020, the average personal credit card debt for an American, U.S. citizen, was around $5,315. That's average, okay? Now, what we know about credit cards is the interest rate on those is quite high. 
And they love having you indebted to them. They love it when you are paying them uh, on, those, on those credit cards. Personal loans. This is not a mortgage. This is just I took out a personal loan to do this or that. About 16000 So start adding these things up. If, if I have a $5,000 credit card debt per month and on top of that a personal loan of about 16000 that I'm paying on and then I'm, I just want to buy a car and I'm like, hey, new car, you know, decent interest rate. I commit myself to $19,700 of debt paid on, on a monthly basis for my vehicle and at the same time I'm paying for that crazy college student loan that was wonderful when I was in school and I could just charge everything on it and then as soon as I graduated they came after me. And you add on top of that the housing situation here in Whatcom County going through the roof and your mortgage. Now we've got to be wise about decisions that we make. This is a nightmare scenario financially right here. Think of the amount of interest that is just burning money. Just you work hard and you watch your money burn. So there is care and wisdom to the words, owe no one anything, okay? Obviously, we can overshoot that and move beyond it, but there is value to say we should be careful with debt. It is something that our our culture around us is not all that concerned about, and uh, as believers, we should be financially careful and make wise decisions when it comes to the money that we are given to steward for the king. It's not ours, it's his. And we call, we're called to steward it well. So work hard and aim to pay in full. I think that would be a commitment. Aim to pay in full. Don't, don't take on foolish debt. Be wise about it and then aim to pay it off. And one of the things that I encouraged my parents to do years ago was pay off their house uh, loan as part of their retirement strategy. And that has blessed them tremendously as they were able to aggressively go after that. And now it's paid. And uh, their monthly costs are quite low. Uh, That's a good goal uh, to go after in these days. Okay, so rabbit trail. Back to the main trail. Now, owe no one anything. This is what he's doing. He's setting this up. So the owe no one anything is part of this, this previous verse, and he's calling us then to this, except to love each other. What an interesting way to talk. Owe no one anything except to love. The only thing you should owe is love. Interesting language. He speaks about a debt of love that we as believers have. What is this debt? The debt of love sources from the gospel itself what what the king of kings has done for us he has rescued us ransomed us paid the debt we could never pay and we are called therefore to go and lavish his love the way we have received love so also we are to love this is the debt of love the source of the wellspring that flows out abundantly. This is an artesian well of love. It, it, just, it just fires from the ground and flows out through us, both toward the Lord in response to what He's done for us and toward everyone around us. In this is love. The love of God was made manifest. This is our, our call to worship. That God has sent His Son 
His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God. Right? It's not that, it's not that we were down here and just saying, oh, we're so deserving of your love. Look at what we're doing. And God's like, I can't help it. I just got to go down there. No, we are the rebels, the haters. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the wrath-absorbing, satisfying payment for our sins. And then the call. Here it is. Beloved believers, fellow Christians, if God so loved us, if He has loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. You see the call, how it moves. It's, that's the debt that we're, we're talking about. The debt of love. Jesus said this in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And then he clarifies, well, how, how are we supposed to do that? What's, that? what's that to look like? Well, he says, just as I have loved you. So don't measure your love for one another and say, well, you know, I, I, I feel like I've done enough. I've, I've loved this person sufficiently. No. There's, no. there's no point along the way where the fountain runs dry. There's, there's no lack of love flowing up from the gospel for us. And so the call is, just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. And this is a witness. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So one of the ways the world can tell the gospel is real and powerful is when people who are drastically different, people who, who are not typically hanging out together, totally love one another. The world is like, what is that? What, that, that shouldn't happen like that. And we're like, I know. I know. But it's real. It's real. This is what Jesus has done for us. Look at this love. Jew and Gentile. Slave and free. Scythian, barbarian, right? All brought together. One church in love. All the ethnicities, all the backgrounds, all the different statuses of, of society coming together. Look around today. Look at this. Look at this display of gospel power friends this is real it's the gospel evidenced in love paul says to the colossians as the lord has forgiven you so also you must forgive so part of love is expressing forgiveness releasing people from offenses and and showing them the forgiveness so as you have been forgiven an infinite debt, so also you must forgive, 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 forgive. You don't stop. You just keep loving, keep loving. Hmm. You could say it this way, love has no finish line. There's no finish line to love. You don't, you don't say with a family member, you know what, that's it. That, that, that's it. I'm done with you. I've loved you sufficiently it's over. A coworker. Who? A coworker who may get on your nerves 
like no one else on the face of the earth. A coworker who just grinds your very soul and you say, Lord, I can't. And he says, you can. It's not that he doesn't supply what we need. We can't blame him for a shortage when the wellspring is overflowing of love. We're called to tap into that. One of the ways we keep running in love is remembering. Remember the love He's shown us. And you will be able to reach out and show that love to the lost. So we delight and we display. The way that you reach the depths of this kind of love, this perseverance, this tenacious love, I will love you. That's agape love. Is to realize the way we've been loved. So we delight in it, and then we're called to display it. It's not easy. You know, we might have to pray our way through it. Lord, I am struggling. i got to be honest. In my heart, I don't feel love for this person. I really don't. I need you to change my heart. Deepen my love for this person. Help me to love them. I delight in you. I want to display your love. Now, just a word here. Loving in this way does not mean that you never draw lines or boundaries. Okay, I don't, I don't want to overstate this. Sometimes the most loving thing to do is to, is to love someone by drawing a line or a boundary so that they don't continue to damage a relationship, right? So it's complicated. There's all kinds of things that go into this, relationally speaking especially. But my heart, my disposition, as it relates to this whole theme is gentleness and patience and kindness and love. It's to just emanate from believers, both to other believers and out into the world. Love for fellow believers, love for the unsaved, and love for enemies. Love for enemies. When you're insulted, how did Jesus respond? When someone mocks you for a position you take according to the Word. When you are taking a stand for something that is serious and significant and someone laughs it off as, as meaningless and nothing. How, how will we respond? Will we bristle? Will we go to war? Show them? You don't mess with us. That's not the call of the believers. The call is to love. Now the second half of this, first is wellsprings of love. Now this flows into an amazing connection that Paul makes here, which is made all over the place, both Old and New Testaments. I call this the, law, the love of law and the law of love. The love of law and the law of love. Verses 8b through 10. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Massive statement right there. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Not abolished it, but fulfilled it. For the commandments. And then Paul begins to quote from the Ten Commandments. He does so in a different order because he's, he's probably working out of the Greek Septuagint. He starts with uh, the command, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, which is, I think, number seven. And then he goes back to number six, you shall not murder. And then he goes to number eight, which is you shall not steal, finishes with number 10, you shall not covet. So 
He's quoting. He's, he's sampling here. He's not just selecting these and, and leaving others out on purpose. He's just saying, let me give you a few commandments. Let me, let me illustrate this for you. Look at the heart of each of these commandments. And what you'll find is love. It's not just raw, mechanical, keep the law. It's love. Love for your neighbor. Any other commandment that you can find, it's summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting how sometimes people think about law. Sometimes people will pit law against love. They'll say, listen, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I love obeying the Lord. And I just, I, I, I love obeying the Lord so much that I just don't have time to love people. I'm too busy being holy. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, in fact, if, if you were as busy being holy as me, you wouldn't have time to care about you either. <laughs> Cold-hearted, legalistic Pharisees. Lord, thank You that I am not like that guy. That dirt bag, that loser, look at him groveling down there and look at me, holy, and look at the list of things I've kept and all my obediences to you. Jesus was not impressed at all. He saw right through the facade of Pharisaical legalism, trying to be righteous and, and good enough for God's acceptance in our own work that is a devastating pit you can never dig deep enough. It just keeps dropping you lower and lower. The more impressed you are with your obedience, the farther you are from the Gospel. So don't pit the law against love. But don't flip it the other direction either. Oh man, it's all love. Don't worry about the law. There are people in this county that have subscribed to this track. Don't worry about the commandments, man. I'm just loving Jesus. I don't, I'm not so worried about all these do's and do nots. I'm just about feeling love for Jesus. This is antinomianism. That's the word. It's a good theology word. Write that down and, and, and study that out this week. Antinomianism. It's when you take and you say... <laughs> I'm going to sin it up that grace may abound, right? I'm not worried about any of the, the, the calls of obedience because I'm just leaning on Jesus the whole way. I got nothing to worry about. Well, Jesus has a huge problem with this too. Don't, don't think that this is spiritual. This is not spiritual. This is, this is horrific. It's offensive to Christ. This is what Jesus said. In John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself, manifest myself to him. Interesting. So, you can't say it's all about loving and not about law. And you can't say it's all about law and not about love. They are complementary. They come together for us. The only way that the Old Testament can meet the New is through Christ, the only one who kept the law. He is the one who has fulfilled the law in a way we never could. But now, we don't just kick the law aside. 
We delight in the law. John 15, 10 through 12. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So listen, Christian, today, part of the way that you delight in the love of God is by obeying Him. Think of this. Abiding is obeying. To abide is to obey. Abide in my love, which means do what I said. Delight to do my will. Just as I, Jesus gives us His example, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Now, don't miss this. He's not saying the way to perfect living in the Christian life, joy-filled living, is to not worry about the laws, the rules, the do this and don't do that. Never pit that against... Jesus Himself says, if you want My joy, delight to do what I've called you to do. And if you want your joy to be full, this is the path. This is My commandment. And that this, just in case we ever thought you could separate these two, here it comes. This is My commandment. Here's a law for you. Love one another. Love one another just as I have loved you. So, Love fulfills the law because love is required of the law and law is not accomplished without love. And when they come together, they complement one another perfectly. But only in Christ. Only in Christ. It's only through Christ and the Gospel that we can be set free to live in joyful surrender and obedience, drawing upon the confidence that He is enough. We don't obey to be good enough to be saved. We obey because He was good enough and saved us and then called us to live this way, to shine forth His glory. Love fulfills the law. Pick any of the Ten Commandments and you'll find love at the very core. It is not just robotic. It is heart. Heart. The first four are vertical. right? It's all about love for God. The remaining six are all horizontal. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus responded, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Commandments 1-4. through This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. Commandments 5-10. through You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Whoa! Consider that. If you want to please God and walk in obedience with God, at the very core is love. Love. And you have been given a wellspring of love flowing in your life to bless and pour out. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, Jesus says, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. We hear this as the golden rule oftentimes. It's just the same thing as this text and the text we just looked at. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. You might ask the question, so why the law? Why did He give us the law then? If, couldn't He have just said, hey, you guys need to love. You just need to love. Love God and love other people. The law 
builds it out. It shows all of the different displays of love in things that we don't do, in things that we do. It reveals the way we've been loved. It reveals the majesty and character and purity of God. And it calls us into that application in our lives through the gospel, through the gospel. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is a fascinating thing, and, and I pray that you have never heard this, but I'm, I'm curious to know if you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. Which word jumps out to you the most in that sentence? Neighbor or yourself? <laughs> okay. I just need to love myself more so that I can love my neighbor says the therapeutic gospel. It's a false gospel. It's a psychobabble. Lifted verses applied. It's like the prosperity gospel, only it's the gospel that everything is about me. Have, have you heard this preached? Has, have you been in a situation where you've heard this proclaimed? Please say no. Good, I don't see any hands. This is out there. People say these things. Hey, listen. It all begins with self-love. And you need to fan that flame. You need some self-care. You need, you need to take you time. You need the man cave, the she shed, right? Do what you have to do. You've got to take care of yourself. Now, I don't want to overstate this. Okay, let, let's, let's be careful. We are called to steward well. Not to be flashes in the pan, in service of the Lord. Our job is marathon, not sprint. So yes, there is important care. We should not be spiritual workaholics. Just like constantly, everywhere, every time the church is open, we're just running through the doors and I can't slow down so I'm popping Red Bulls and like, ah! No, no. Marathon. Find your pace. That is love for your neighbor. Pace yourself. Right? Be realistic about what you can do. You are not the Savior. Jesus is. Now that said, our tendency is far more often inward than outward, isn't it? I mean, our, our natural bent is toward the person that I see in the mirror. It's, it's self-love is, the, is what the sinner's inclination is. The gospel is what changes that. And progressively so through the Christian life. Ephesians 5, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now listen to this. Here's authoritative revelation for any therapeutic gospel inclination. For no one ever hated his own flesh. That comes natural to us. What do we do? We nourish and cherish ourselves. That is, that's, that's natural. That's, that's not hard. That's autopilot. That's instinct. Christ does this for the church. That is spectacular. And that is the way we are called to love our wives. Men, married men, love your wife that way. Do you realize this? For, for, for you who are married in this room, your closest neighbor is your spouse. And then your children, right? So don't just think neighborhood. Think marriage. Think parenting. Then think extended family, church family, and on out. Yes, absolutely neighbors count. 
They're on the list. Philippians 2, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That's not natural. Pride would say, no, it's about me. I'm the person that I'm supposed to care most about. And the gospel says, look at what Jesus did. Look at how he modeled this. He laid his life down. He bled and died for rebels like you and me. That's the bar of love. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, so that, catch this, it doesn't mean that it's sinful or wrong to take care of the things in your own life that you need to do, right? Yes, you are to look to your own interests, but not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is what the gospel does to people who lived at one point for themselves and now they live for the glory of the King and for others to know His love. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. If you could live this out, love from the heart for God and for others, you would fulfill the law. That's the call. That's the call. I think of Psalm 119 often. I think of the psalmist's delight in the law of God. It's good to love the law. Let's be clear. We're called to it over and over in the Psalms. Oh, I love your testimonies. They are my delight. I delight in them more than, more than treasure. But in that love for the law, it has a focus. First, Upward, then outward. All through the Gospel. Our response this morning, love for God and love for others. It, it seems too simple. I mean, after the previous sermon, <laughs> in the first seven verses, the complexities of those things, this is just a very simple, straightforward thing. But oh, it's hard. It's hard to live this way. It's hard to love like this. Love God above all else, first and foremost. No one competes with Him. Any competition is an idol. He is foremost. He is first in my heart. O Lord, lead the way. I delight in Your testimonies. I delight in Your commandments. Show me how to live. And then help me draw from the wellspring of the Gospel so that I can show that love to everyone I come across. Upward and outward, remembering and reaching. Maybe these words can help you when you're struggling, okay? When you're struggling, you're in the workplace, you're at school, whatever it might be, family get together, you know, fill in the blanks. Lord, I'm having a hard time. Go in the bedroom, take a minute, go to him and lock eyes with what he's done for you. Remember how he loved you. The debt he forgave you. Don't run out of there and choke the neck of someone in your family. How dare you? You owe me. No, no. Love. Forgive. Kindness. Gentleness. I want to close by reading from 1 Corinthians 13. This is a a passage that's very familiar to us. So what I'd like you to do is just close your eyes. Okay? Just close your eyes and let me read these words slowly. And I want you to begin to think now, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? How how can I love my neighbor in this way? If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, 
I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, again, nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It isn't arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Let me say that one more time. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And here's the echo from our text. Love never ends. Let's pray. Father, as we contemplate the way You have loved us, the way You love us, today by lavishing upon us your grace your kindness oh your patience with us your goodness to us you are faithful oh god you are faithful we thank you for the the great priceless gift you have given in jesus christ and we delight in it we delight in you king jesus and the love you have shown to us thank you for humbling yourself and taking upon the the, the horrors of the cross upon your shoulders, forbearing the weight of our sins and suffering and dying. Thank You for the infinite cost that You paid for, for ransoming us from our sins to redeem us from our own rebellion. Oh God, we delight in that today. We make much of You. We esteem You, Jesus, as King above all kings. We love You. We love You. I pray that we would love You more. And Father, as we then move out from the Gospel to to carry Your light, to, to shine forth this love that we have tasted and experienced, we pray that You would show Yourself in the way we love. Show Your kindness in the way we are kind. Show Your gentleness in the way that we respond gently to de-escalate situations. Show Your faithfulness in our consistency with love. Show Your truth in, in our loving stand for what is true, delighting in what is true, not compromising for the sake of praise or to fit in with our culture. Oh, Father, show Your forbearance and Your patience as we are forbearing and patient with those in our lives. I pray that there would be a a love set on display that the world would be drawn to. And Lord, thank You for the way these people love one another. I just give praise to You for what I see throughout the week of, of Your church loving each other, caring for each other, encouraging one another, coming alongside, bringing meals, praying for each other. Father, grow our love all the more that this county would know that the Gospel is true and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.